Welcome to Reformed Media Review. I'm Jim Cassidy, and I'm here today with Camden Busey, who's going to review a book for us. What do you got for us today, Camden? Well, this book is called One with Christ, an Evangelical Theology of Salvation by Marcus Peter Johnson. It's published by Crossway. Uh, This is a great book. I very much appreciated this one. I finished it this morning as we record, and it was a very insightful book and uh, one that's very thorough and will uh, keep you up to date with the current discussions on the doctrine of union with Christ. I must admit, there have been so many books and conferences and podcast episodes and whatever, you name it, on the subject of union with Christ, it's almost becoming intolerable. Maybe that's not the right word, but uh, as I th- use on the blog post, you know, there's a signal-to-noise ratio, and there's so much stuff coming out, and not all of it is the cream of the crop. Not all of it's worth your attention, to be quite honest and and frank. Uh, But this is something that offers a very insightful and comprehensive view. It gets into the meat, and uh, he's attempting to break some new ground in his own thoughts. So uh, this book is well worth your attention. I encourage you to pick it up and uh, to get a copy and to read it, and, and read it slowly and try to soak it in and pay attention to all of the footnotes. So I'll explain why here as I open up this book, but I want to whet your appetite to say this is worth your time. It's definitely worth your time. It's accessible to, you know, the astute layperson who's been following along, but also even to uh, people with PhDs in systematic theology that have been reading about union with Christ for quite some time. Marcus Peter Johnson is someone some of you may not be familiar with. He uh, teaches, he's an assistant professor of theology at Moody Bible Institute here in Chicago. And uh, he has an interesting uh, pedigree, and it's one that you might not expect. I, I hate to say it, but there, there's a lot of tribalism, many people understand, in, in the Reformed circles. And sometimes you look at somebody's uh, credentials and where they went to school, which, and you do that because you want to get an idea of where they may be coming from in terms of their theology. Especially on the subject with the union with Christ, there are different uh, strands and emphases that you find, not exclusively, but you sometimes find them identified with different institutions because of the professors that teach at different places. Marcus Peter Johnson got his bachelor's degree at Moody. Uh, He went on to do an MA, I believe, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and he did a PhD at the University of Toronto, which has a very well-renowned theological program and uh, even has a Jesuit faculty, so I was interested in that for my own research at one point in time. And now he's back at Moody and he teaches there. I believe he's been teaching there since 2009 or so. However, if you look at the bibliography and all the people that he interacts with, you might not expect the types of interaction and exactly his position simply based on the schools that he went to. And I mean I mean that as a compliment, and I don't at all mean that in terms of a value judgment on where the schools are. But he is very much delivering a Reformed perspective. Uh, it's not just a, a broad evangelical view, even though he uses the word evangelical a lot, and the subtitle to the book is An Evangelical Theology of Salvation. This is very much a book that is steeped in uh, Reformed confessional theology, and that's something that's evident from uh, the beginning page all the way to the end. Let me read to you a few of the chapter titles, and then I'll go into a few of the the important features and things that I think are are distinguishing marks of this book. First, we have uh, an introduction. He talks about union with Christ and salvation. He wants to have a more comprehensive view of the gospel, one that includes all the benefits, uh, not simply justification. That's a repeated theme throughout the book. Justification is very important. It is critical. Uh, However, it is not identical with the gospel without remainder. 
meaning that the Lord is doing other things to us and bringing us to his glory than merely declaring us to be righteous, even though we cannot have salvation without the Reformed doctrine of justification. The first chapter here is the nature of union with Christ. Uh, Secondly, we have sin and the incarnation. That is a very foundational chapter for him, where he discusses imputation, and he discusses his view of how the incarnation can come in and provide a via media or a middle ground or a a third way between federalist and realist views of the imputation of sin. I'll come back to that in a second. Third chapter is justification in Christ, emphasis on in Christ. Fourth chapter, sanctification in Christ. Fifth uh, is adoption and sonship in Christ. You want to guess what the sixth chapter is about, Jim? Probably has something to do with being in Christ. (laughs) It's on preservation and glorification in Christ. Uh, Seventh, the mystery of the church in Christ. He's talking about ecclesiology as it pertains to union. And then finally, the eighth chapter, the word and sacraments of Christ which very much relates to the subject that you, we talked about on our last episode of Reformed Media Review as you reviewed Richard Barcellus's book, The Lord's Supper as a Means of Grace, uh, because right. he yeah. promotes a means of grace model and a, a very significant Reformed understanding of the sacraments. All right, let me back up here. Now I've given you a survey of the whole book, at least in terms of its chapter titles. Marcus Johnson here offers, I think, a very thorough understanding and one that is in conversation with stuff that's at least as up-to-date as 2011, with uh, Lethem's book on Union with Christ, as well as J. Todd Billings' book on Union with Christ. He might have some stuff that's even uh, more recent than that, but those are two very recent books on Union. He does deal quite a bit with Michael Horton's book, um, Christian Faith, uh, which is also recent. So we find out a lot here, uh, and he's interacting and pulling together threads of a lot of these very contemporary and current theologies. So that's why this one's important. Marcus starts with this idea of the imputation of Adam's sin, and he wants to offer a doctrine of union with Christ that is more than just words or a legal fiction. So he's a little bit critical of the Federalist view, which is what you find more in in Reformed theologians, but he's likewise uh, somewhat critical of a realist view, which would see that the imputation of Adam's sin comes down because of some sort of organic or substantial union with Adam, meaning that because human beings share in humanity— they descend from Adam as his physical offspring, then that somehow accounts for how uh, sin comes to us. Now, even some Federalists would say that corruption comes to us in that regard, although that's a debated point too. But this has been a very debated issue in terms of how imputation happens, and Reformed theologians have often stressed the Federalist view of immediate imputation, uh, meaning that Adam was the federal head, the covenantal head of humanity, and because God established that relationship, when Adam sinned, all sinned and fell with him, in him, because of their federal and covenantal union with him. That's what's going on here. Marcus Johnson wants to offer a middle ground, uh, what he calls Christological realism. Now, You need to buy the book in order to get all the details. I'm not going to explain everything. But Christological realism tries to emphasize the doctrine of union with Christ through the paradigm and perspective of the Incarnation. And he, as far as I can tell, borrows and and leans quite a bit upon Robert Lethem, 
who uh, emphasizes incarnational union in his book, uh, Union with Christ, which was published uh, by PNR a couple of years ago, and also T.F. Torrance, although he doesn't just borrow from Torrance wholesale. Torrance uh, emphasized a very strong doctrine of incarnational union as the way that uh, humanity is, is uh, united to Christ because he has taken to uh, himself our very nature. We likewise are bound up in him and considered in him. My criticisms of that view, and, and Johnson uh, hedges himself and he does uh, present a very thoughtful doctrine, and um, he's aware of some of the, the dangers of, of just placing all of your emphasis on incarnational union. However, I would like to see this book developed a little more in terms of the faith union aspect. He says we are united to Christ by faith, that that's a, an emphasis, and that's clearly laid out in the book. However, I feel that maybe another chapter would have been warranted in terms of describing how faith union relates to incarnational union. Here's the rub, because if you place all your emphasis on incarnational union, what's to say that all human beings are not saved? Does right. that, does that make sense, Jim? You, be, right. you end up being a universalist if you go entirely in that direction. Um, I want to be careful. Right. Marcus Johnson is not saying that. But right. what I'm offering here is just a, a question that I think deserves and warrants further attention. Because if you just say strictly that salvation and the benefits of Christ come to us because he shares in our human nature, then simply if we place all that emphasis and that salvific those salvific effects directly upon the hypostatic union then really what's to say that that you know a human being who's reprobate doesn't also share in those same benefits that's something i think the book maybe maybe that would warrant a follow-up article or a second book of some sort but that i think is where the discussion needs to go However, it's interesting here that he does offer something and, and tries to improve upon the historical discussion between Federalists and Realists on the issue of uh, the imputation of sin, because it does find its analogy when we talk about the imputation of Christ's righteousness. The third chapter, Justification in Christ, he really emphasizes that justification happens within the context of union with Christ. If we are united to Christ by faith, and therefore also if we are justified by grace through faith, it seems as though that faith must somehow already be present or be the context by which we're justified, and therefore if we're united to Christ by faith, then the union has to have some sort of priority uh, to justification. Uh, that's that's just a basic contention that Lane Tipton has presented in the past uh, with other people who would like to place justification outside of the of the context of union with Christ. Um, for Marcus Johnson, it's definitely union with Christ first. That's the umbrella or the salvific context in which all the benefits come to those who belong to Christ. And so, therefore, you have justification, adoption, and sanctification happening in and through Christ. You are united to Christ and you receive him, the entire Christ, and you receive all the benefits that accrue to you and come to you through your union with him. So he distinguishes himself from like a like a model of the Ordo Salutis you find with Burkhoff or with a guy like Samuel Perkins, or he also distinguishes himself from Michael Horton and John Fesco, who would, you know, make justification cause or effect sanctification, those sorts of things. I included some quotations uh, from Johnson on the website, and he offers ample documentation in his 
book, which distinguishes his view from other views that are out there. Just to to summarize uh, this idea of the benefits coming, he very much leans on the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, the larger catechism at times. He, He refers to the Heidelberg Catechism. He quotes from Calvin and Luther. And he's really working with a wide range of Reformed and, and even at some points Lutheran theologians, and then also folks like T.F. Torrance uh, to uh, make his case and also to distinguish his view from others. So I found it thoroughly helpful, the discussions on justification, sanctification, and adoption. Preservation and glorification in Christ are very insightful as well. Uh, he wants to have a, a more of a comprehensive view of glorification, which is something I'm very interested in and hope to be writing about in the near future. Uh, glorification is kind of the sum of all that God is doing. He's conforming us to the images of to the image of Christ, and that includes conformity to his sufferings so that we also would be conformed to his subsequent glories. That's a basic pattern of salvation we find in Philippians 2, 6 through 11, and uh, Philippians 3, a whole host of other places we come to see uh, that God is glorifying his son, has glorified his son, and he continues to glorify us by making us look more and more like him and reflecting his glory back at him uh, in worship and praise and uh, in family resemblance, Romans 8.29. So uh, preservation and glorification is very important and also happens within the context of union with Christ because we have to be united to him and conformed to him in order to share in and, and demonstrate his glory. Chapter 7, the mystery of the church in Christ. We cannot be united to Christ without also being united to his body. So he emphasizes a healthy ecclesiology and uh, church membership and uh, the nature in which we are saved. We're not saved as individuals. We are saved individually as the Spirit applies God's salvation to us, the salvation that was purchased by Christ. The Holy Spirit does that to individual believers, but he incorporates us into a larger body of Christ for his purposes. So there's a very helpful and thorough chapter on ecclesiology, and that leads very naturally into a discussion of the sacraments. He does argue for uh, the means of grace view um, of the Lord's Supper and of baptism, but also of preaching. He talks about a sacramental view and uh, the real presence of Christ in the preaching of the Word. He references uh, Mark Beach, who's a professor at Mid-America Reformed Seminary in Dyer, Indiana, and he promotes uh, what I think is a very Reformed and also historically sound and biblically sound, more importantly, view of the preaching of the Word and the administration of the sacraments. So we find in his book a very thorough book that is current, up-to-date, will engage contemporary discussions, is also independently thinking. So he's offering his own views on the subject and trying to improve some things that he finds weak and insufficient, but also a book that leaves a couple questions to be answered. Like I said, the the emphasis on incarnational union, and I'd be happy to talk to Marcus Johnson or hear some follow-up on that and, and see if we, as a Reformed community, might be able to come to a better understanding of what it actually means in detail to be united to Christ uh, covenantally and really. It's not just a, a legal fiction. It's a real, organic, natural, and personal union. Uh, but exactly, you know, how that works itself out and how that is distinguished from other views perhaps is a question to be answered in the future. So uh, this book, One with Christ, An Evangelical Theology of Salvation by Marcus Peter Johnson, is published by Crossway, and I think it's very, very uh, deserving of your attention. 
That's great. Uh, you persuaded me to go get a copy myself, Camden. So <laughs> glad we had this uh, this review here together. So, well, thanks again, Camden. We appreciate it. Uh, so pick up uh, the book by uh, by Dr. Johnson, and this has been Reformed Media Review. Thank you.